I feel sort of an obligation to go into neighborhoods where people don't have ballet on radar for them mm. and introduce it. And then maybe we'll find new ballet dancers that, and, and it'll be really inclusive. Or we'll find stage managers or people who do costuming. I don't think it's necessarily about becoming a dancer. Mm. It's just having an idea that this world does exist. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzarote. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy, and happy life. Hello again, and welcome. Uh, we are, of course, in the Move Well series of Forever Young, and in today's episode, we move gracefully and elegantly into the world of ballet. Our guest today is the ballet dancer and now actor and model Eric Underwood. Eric was born and grew up in Washington, D.C., and after a relatively late start at 14, Eric then enjoyed a rapid rise and stellar career, spending 10 years with the Royal Ballet, joining as a first artist in 2006, and then promoted to become one of the Royal Ballet's first soloists of colour in 2008. These days, Eric can be seen treading the boards in theatre, modelling and acting. He keeps himself in tip-top shape here at Lanzerhof at the Arts Club, and I am delighted to say is launching his new ballet class here later this month. So, we have lots to discuss. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Eric. Hello. How are you today? I'm really well. I'm excited to be here. Good. That makes two of us. Uh, you're looking very, very well, too. Um, so, Eric, as we discussed off air earlier, you know, you, you do have a really interesting story. So over to you. Tell us your story, how you got into the world of ballet you know, from when it first maybe appealed to you as a young boy and, and, and how it progressed to the heights you achieved. Sure. So um, as a child, I was growing up in Washington, D.C., and you go to schools depending on your neighborhood. And the school that was offered to me wasn't, didn't show a lot of promise. So my mom didn't want me to go there. She decided without me having any training that I was an actor. So we went to the library and she got a monologue about a child in a wheelchair. And I learned it. And then I went in for my audition and I blanked. I forgot everything on the spot. And they said, oh, no, I'm sorry. This isn't for you. Thank you, Eric. Uh, goodbye. So I'm walking out. I have quite a pushy mother. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hello, mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she's going to freak out in the car. She's going to freak out. <laughs> so I'm walking out. I see some girls about to go into a dance audition. I had on jean shorts and a T-shirt. And I just thought, OK, well, I'll go in. So I went in with them. Ballet, as you know, probably it's all in French. So people are saying, oh, tombe, parbure, glissade, sautichade. And I had no idea what they were saying. Mm. The teacher goes, I'm sorry, but this is for trained dancers. And uh, my mom always raised me to be quite confident. Um, so I said, look, if you show me, I can do it. And then the teacher went, mm, uh, sit on the floor. And then she checked my flexibility. So ballet is quite genetically predetermined. You're mm. either flexible and you have arched feet. And those things are, um, they just are or they aren't. Mm. So I was quite flexible and I could jump. She said, we'll do this on a probationary level for six months and see where we get. And after about three months, I had fallen in love with dancing and I would be at home like stretching with my leg on a bunk bed. 
Um, and they shipped me off to ballet boarding school, and I became a ballet dancer. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, going back to the the um, audition, the original audition. Yes. Was that your your first experience of stage fright? Would you is that is that what it was? Did you just have a mental block? I wasn't nervous at all. I just uh, had a complete, total mental shutdown of what I was supposed to be doing, and I just sat there mm. looking at the people, and um, they were looking back at me, <laughs> and I was thinking of my mother. It was kind of a mess, yeah. <laughs> so it's thanks to your mother and the, the pressure that came from leaving that audition that led to this amazing career that you had. Absolutely, and I think my mother instilling that confidence in me, I felt like I could walk into that dance audition and I would be able to figure it out. How amazing. And so the few, three, six, 12 months after that, you obviously slowly fell in love with, with ballet and you, you realized you'd found your, your vocation? Yeah, I think as a teenager, I just wanted a sense of direction. And everyone quite early on said, you have a lot of promise for this, you can do this. Um, you just need to work really hard. And uh, being a guy was quite a good thing because I was never not noticed in the space. I was the only boy at the original school. Mm. And then I went off to ballet boarding school where there were lots of guys who were always the best from where they came from. So mm. um, ballet can be quite competitive. Mm. So I felt like I had a lot of work to catch up on. And and presumably those other male boy dancers were, were dancing at a far younger age than, than you. You, you came to quite late. I, I think in relative terms, 14 is quite late. Absolutely. 14 is quite late. And um, in Washington, D.C., it's predominantly black. So where I went to school, the School of American Ballet, I was all of a sudden uh, the only black guy. And I remember standing in the line and uh, everyone was talking about dancing and I could overhear two girls talking. And she said, oh, the black guy's really good. Mm. And I looked around looking for him because I was from Washington, D.C., so that had never been my point of identity because mm. everyone else was black too. Mm. So it felt like in that moment, I needed to really display my talent to make sure that everyone was clear about why I was there. Mm. I was there because I was so good. Mm. Uh, I wasn't filling a quota. Fascinating. And, and I, I guess for the rest of your career, you're seeing you were, you were the only black guy, you know, as, as you said. I guess it's as a as a, a ballet as a, it's not known for its diversity. You know, no. you were the one of the first black soloists. Yeah. Um, so that that's travelled with you, if you like. Yeah. Um, and and how do you feel about that? You you've clearly been leading the way in breaking down barriers. Uh, yeah, I think um, ballet generally doesn't separate. I'm sorry, it doesn't celebrate difference. So if someone's very tall very short, if they aren't exactly the mold of what we imagine a ballet dancer is, mm. that person isn't celebrated. I felt like if I were a blonde haired girl that was five foot seven and 110 pounds, I would be just like everyone else. So when I was in auditions, I never worried about being noticed or being seen. I just always wanted to make sure it was for the right reasons. Um, I think for me, it was a blessing in disguise to not blend in a situation. I, I was there, I was present, and I didn't feel like I needed to shy away from that presence. Mm. In many ways helped you stand out. Yeah. And in, in doing um, a little bit of research on you, Eric, um, there was maybe about six or seven years ago, and uh, I think you um, you were frustrated. I mean, something as simple that it, it's extraordinary that it exists today, that ballet shoes at the time were only in one tone or one color and and I think you were flippantly 
rebuffed in your request for shoes that, that match your skin tone. Yeah, it's interesting because I hadn't ever really thought about it. I was on tour doing a tour with Roberto Bole and friends and I was in uh, Calabria and I would normally just go to a supermarket and buy makeup in my skin tone and paint my shoes. Mm. And in this part of Italy, I couldn't find my skin tone of makeup. So I thought, oh God, what am I gonna do? So I went on Instagram and I just wrote to all the ballet companies, if there is one company that would make shoes outside of a white skin tone, I'll love you forever. Mm. And um, I got a positive response from Block saying, we're big fans of yours, let's collaborate on a shoe. And then we made the Eric Tan shoe and then shoes of color existed. <laughs> Is it to this day the Eric Tan shoe? I know, right? That's great. That's yeah. good. There you go. There's your legacy. Yeah. <laughs> um, coming back to that journey to become a professional ballet dancer, there are probably three attributes in, in anything, really. Um, there's the initial desire. Yes. Clearly, desire is nothing without ability, uh, which you clearly had. But then the last piece, I guess, is attitude, which you, you can't train in people. They've, they've either got yeah. it or they haven't. Yeah. And um, tell me about that, because there must be so many talented young boys and girls that fall by the wayside, yes. maybe la through lack of desire, maybe the ability is limited. But let's assume they have the ability. But then the attitude isn't there or there's peer pressure that might steer them away into other sports or activities or even none at all. Um, Tell us about all that in your experience. So I, I think that ballet for most people can be um, quite difficult on a social level because it's competitive and you're trying to achieve this sort of unachievable perfection. Mm. My mom had nine miscarriages and then was able to adopt one child. Oh my so the amount of love I was smothered with was <laughs> huge. The amount of confidence. Eric, you're the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, constantly. So when I would be in situations where the teacher would be saying something that might um, deter other children or make you feel less confident, I always, and this sounds crazy, but I always thought they were mistaken. I was always like, oh, she's, she's mistaken. My mom already told me I'm amazing. So, <laughs> so, so like, I mean, I was really blessed to have parents that were so encouraging that it could, um, nothing else could get in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like we, I hope your mother is as well. And, and, and did she come over? She's great. She came over to watch the play. She comes to visit. We're really, really close. We're like best friends. So I feel like we need to meet your mother one day. Very Absolutely. Soon. So bring her in next time she's in London. Yeah. Um, and so give an insight maybe into the training and dedication. Um, difficult in a short podcast, I know. But, sure. But that period where you are striving, you know, you're, you all have that ambition. You all have that aim. You're all looking to stand out, as you said earlier. Yes. Um, you need that self-confidence and drive and determination, but you need to work very, very hard. So give us an insight into the regime, if you like, of, of an aspiring ballet dancer. So, for instance, as a student, I would wake up at about 8.30 a.m. and then I would have a physical weight training class where you did like... Um, weights and just got a better understanding of your body for about an hour and a half. And then I'd have a 10 o'clock class, which was called special men's. This is the part where you have to get used to rejection quite early on. Mm. So we had in my advanced ballet class, there were 40 guys. 
and they chose five of us out of the 40 to get an extra class every day to train you to be a star of the future in the ballet. So from 14, there's already a distinction between hmm. who's going to be the stars and who's going to be the chorus. So it's determined as early as that? As early as that. So the stars get an extra class hmm. to sort of perfect you. And the other people get one standard technique class so that they can carry on training. But from that age, you already have an understanding of who's going to the top. And is there ever a crossover to people? Yeah, I mean, like in anything, some people sort of develop later and then surprise you at the age of 17. But the trouble is, confidence is so important within dance that if you're defeated at 14, Mm. it's quite difficult to then build yourself back up by the time you're 17. Sure. Um, So I was quite lucky in a sense that I was chosen for that class. So I'd have that class for an hour and then I would do technique class with all of the other guys. And then another hour of learning to dance with women in a pas de deux class. And then maybe two hours of academics. And then I'd sort of go home and get some rest and do it all again. That's intense. Over what period of time was that? Oh, we would start in September and finish the semester probably late June. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you feel looking back on your teenage years, I guess we're talking about your teenage years. Clearly there were sacrifices you you had to make. Um, Are you resentful of that? Are you proud of that? Are you, how did it shape you? It's interesting because I, I suppose as a teenager, I had found something I loved. So it didn't feel like a sacrifice at all. It felt like I got an opportunity to do something I was really, really wanting to do. And I had quite a tunnel vision for ballet, which I think you have to have to succeed because uh, it's very difficult. If you don't really love it, the sacrifice is too great. Mm. So clearly your self-confidence helped because you're, you, you, it's coming across. You're very determined, you're focused, you, you, you knew, you just yeah. knew. Um, what about peer pressure? You know, your friends in the, at school, um, they must have had a view and, and, and a lot of people might have wilted at that because it's not conventional. It's not the usual kind of pathway for a young boy. So how did you deal with that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously when I was in ballet boarding school, there, there wasn't a lot of bullying or peer pressure because everyone was like minded. Everyone was mm. there to become a professional dancer. Okay. So I didn't really have to deal with that in that sense. But uh, I, I've never been one to go with the crowd. I always felt like um, I could stand alone and I would be fine. And I think doing those classes at 14 and someone saying, out of 40 guys, you're one of the five special ones, that just gave me more confidence to go, okay, mm-hmm. you're getting it right, stand My alone. My mom was right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't look to the right or left, forward. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic to hear. And what did you? What else did you learn about yourself along the way? Because you have to turn things around very quickly for the next show and the next show. You, yes. you must have been in physical discomfort, aches and pains, carrying injuries, but the show must go on, etc. Yes, absolutely. Um, what did you learn about your character? I felt like I'm I'm quite a resilient person. I can carry on. But I felt like in dance, it's really interesting because to become a ballet dancer at that level, you need to do so many hours of just training at this one thing. But in the end, we are telling a story. So you have to go out and fall in love, fall out of love, to be happy, to be sad, so that you can convey all of those emotions on stage. Mm. So sometimes you're just in the studio dancing, 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 and you haven't lived. Mm. So then you go on stage and you have to play Romeo and Juliet and have this like uh, this loss of love. And you're like, what's that? I, I only know how to do a pirouette. That's so I felt like it was really important to sort of 
have a balance and have a little bit of a life as well. So I've never really, I tried to make friends outside of the ballet just to give myself a perspective on what life would be like outside of this very institutional thing. Mm. Well, you raise an interesting point because you, you're, the life of a ballet dancer is clearly very intense. Yes. Not allowing for any life experience beyond it. So exactly. How can they convey? Yeah. And that, that's an ongoing challenge, I, I suppose. Yeah, I think you have to um, sort of burn the candle at both ends. Mm. You do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For everything that means. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. And um, ballet is also perceived typically as the preserve of the middle classes. Yes. Could more be done to recruit from more diverse backgrounds um, and especially increase the appeal to young males? So I did a project in Hackney, um, and I do lots of around inclusion within the ballet world. So I feel like because my story is failing at an acting audition and then seeing some girls go into a dance audition and having that be a place that really accepted me, mm. I feel sort of an obligation to go into neighborhoods where people don't have ballet on radar for them mm. and introduce it. And then... Maybe we'll find new ballet dancers that, and, and it'll be really inclusive. Or we'll find stage managers or people who do costuming. I don't think it's necessarily about becoming a dancer. Mm. It's just having an idea that this world does exist. So yes. I uh, ran a program in um, the Nike shop in Hackney and a little girl came to me and she said, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I was born in Washington, D.C. And she must have been like 10. And she said, oh, you guys have ballet in America? That's really cool. And I thought, wow, this is outrageous. Uh, I moved here because ballet's better here. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just so far off radar for her that um, she hadn't heard of it. It can be quite an elitist thing. Yes, this is almost the PR problem that ballet has. Yes. And uh, I guess that's a, a much, much bigger discussion. Um, but it sounds like you're putting something back into into ballet by, by, by running these workshops is this something you you choose to do where you approach to do is this something you'd like to continue doing how do you see the future in that respect so i've i enjoyed it i initiated this i started doing it and then it was picked up by the bbc and we did a program on a inside out about i went and found 60 little boys who played soccer and i tried to turn any of them that showed promise into ballet dancers there were three that had it it was very easy and then the parents came and i had a conversation with the parents on camera and one of the parents said i'm sorry but my son is going to be a football or ballet is for girls mm. and i raised the question i said how many little boys want to be footballers and what do you think the odds are in comparison to me telling you that he shows promise towards this absolutely not my son is not going to do ballet ballet is for girls which I thought raised the question of how you need your parents' support in order to do these things, and also the stereotypes that come along with being a ballet dancer. This little kid wanted to dance. I could see it in his eyes. Mm -hmm. Mom was having none of it. Um, so I feel like there is something in educating parents mm -hmm. into knowing that this is something that can be available for children that they don't know about either. You need your parents' support because you have to start so young. Mm. That's a massive challenge to overcome everywhere, to, to encourage people to at least try ballet. And, and you can't do that on your own. Well, that's the thing. Like, for instance, in this country, I mean, I've been screaming it, strictly ballet. Because, mm. for instance, ballroom dancing wasn't very popular to people mm. until shows like Strictly Ballroom came out. And now I imagine children, if they're in school and they decide to become a ballroom dancer, your mom and your nan are watching Strictly, so that's no longer taboo. 
So if there was some way to popularize ballet in the same way, it Eric, wouldn't be taboo. You're onto something. Stri- something. Strictly ballet. Exactly. With Eric Underwood. <laughs> yeah. You need to progress this. Yeah. Are you listening, BBC? <laughs> yes. Very good of you. Very noble of you. And, and it sounds absolutely right as a, as a logical next step for, for ballet. Yeah. What was the highlight of your ballet career, would you say? Uh, the highlight of my ballet career? Well, I've been very lucky that dancing in the Royal Ballet, um, you know, you get some of the best choreographers on the biggest stages. And so I got a chance to create lots of new works that have been sold to other companies around the world. And so I often hear um, someone saying, oh, I'm doing the role of Eric Underwood. And I get a little bit of gratification from that. In fact, I have a little tattoo on my ribs of a question mark. And I played the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland. And I noticed when I watched a video of someone doing it in Canada that they had that same question mark drawn onto their ribs. I thought, oh, wow, that's quite impactful. Someone is watching. Yeah, (laughs) it's a real thing. It's not a part of the costume. (laughs) So that's your highlight. Well, yeah, I think just having people sort of look and and want to become like, that's very cool. Yes, that's absolutely. Let's going back to to your career and and, well, also today as well, you must equally have had to be very strict about your diet and your nutritional intake. What sacrifices did you have to make there? And and was it a relief when you retire to be able to, I guess, at least eat what you want? I think I've always eaten what I wanted, but mm. in a sense that um, I eat healthily. I don't, you know, eat anything like McDonald's or anything. Mm. And I feel like um, because ballet, it does take so much training, you know, your body's very um, worked. Mm. So I feel like the amount of work I'm doing, I'm able to eat well. As long as I eat well, I'm able to eat proportionately. I'm able to eat the things that I'd like to. I don't like to make that sacrifice or I haven't had to. Mm-hmm. Do you carry any injuries from your career today or, or, or were you one of the lucky ones and, and pretty much got away scot-free? That's interesting. So I, I got away, I wouldn't say scot-free because I definitely have a little few pains and aches. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason that ballet is so genetically predetermined is because, say, you aren't naturally flexible and then you stretch, stretch and stretch to become very flexible. Mm-hmm. You can do that, but your body doesn't last as long as someone who it's naturally there for. So I was quite lucky in a sense that I was quite naturally gifted for this. Um, So I haven't had lots of my body fighting me back. There are lots of people listening that are clearly interested in your career, but the good news is they can now train with you uh, in the new ballet workshop and class that we're launching here at Lanzhoff at the Arts Club with you. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I'm quite excited about this ballet class. Um, Again, it's about making ballet on radar for people that don't know about it or that think that it's something that isn't accessible to them. Mm. For me, the most important thing in dancing is having a good time, Mm. enjoying it. And, you know, when you're having fun, you exude happiness and you release endorphins. And inevitably, when you're happy, you're healthy. So I think it's, it's something that should be shared with lots of people. You don't have to become a principal in the Royal Ballet to enjoy ballet class. No, and and uh, and as you said, this is inclusive for all levels, yes, presumably. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and so whether we are 
genetically predetermined or not, we can all have a go. Yes, absolutely. And have fun. <laughs> and have fun. Um, and how do you keep fit today, Eric? Um, you're, you're clearly in tip-top shape, as I said at the top of the show. You're here regularly training, but, yes. but tell our listeners how you tend to keep fit today. So I still do lots of ballet training. I do a bar just to keep myself in tip-top ballet shape and keep everything trained. But I also do lots of Pilates. I found Pilates is really helpful for my body. Um, mm. When I do have those little aches and pains, those come from me skipping a few Pilates classes. When I do Pilates regularly, I am in. I feel very, very healthy. And again, nutrition. You you will you just watch what you eat. You're you're not generally an unhealthy eater, so there's no, no issue there. I eat a well balanced meal like everyone else, and mm. just work hard. Mm. Well, look, we're lucky to have you here, um, Eric, because you're you're a naturalized British citizen now. Yes, you? and. Um, I guess this wasn't the original master plan. So um, how did it all come about? And, and, and it's wonderful. Why do you see Britain as now your home? Uh, so originally, I came here on tour with the Dance Theatre of Harlem, and the Royal Ballet saw me do a performance at Sadler's Wells and invited me to come back as a guest. And I couldn't because of my schedule in America. I can be a little impulsive, and I had a rehearsal in America that I didn't particularly enjoy. So I called over and thought I could audition. And I flew over and auditioned uh, for the Royal Ballet. And they said, oh, we don't have any contracts. And I thought, well, if they like you, they'll find it. And so um, they hired me. And then I came back. And I had been living here about a year when I realized that um, this was home for me, that it, did, it no longer felt like I was visiting. And I went back to visit my family in America. And that felt like I was visiting. Mm. So now. Um, I'm completely settled in this country and um, I'm happy here. It feels like home. Well, that's our good fortune. And um, so what are the top three um, qualities of living in Britain that, that, that appeal to you most? The top three qualities of living in Britain. Um, I, th <laughs> I think the accessibility to all of Europe is incredible. Just jumping on a flight and mm. changing my country in an hour or so. Yes. I think um, I'm very lucky here that I get to participate in a lot of really interesting, cool things. Like I drove, I work with Jaguar, and I drove in the Jubilee, which was amazing. Um, yeah, and I actually quite like beans on toast. <laughs> yeah. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, beans on toast. Uh, yes, saw those um, great pictures of you driving the E-types. Yes. Um, with a former guest on this show, David Gandhi, in fact. Oh, fun! He's a yes. good friend of mine. Yes. Yeah. Well, so that was that was really great to see. Yeah. So you're you're clearly enjoying being a Brit, and uh, and 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 that's wonderful. Fast forwarding to well, say the present day. Recently, this year, you had a successful run starring in uh, Clybourne Park. Yes. At the Park Theatre to rave reviews. I I quote. It's a terrific script, and the ensemble cast is sublime. Adolphin and former royal ballet dancer Underwood shine in their theatre debuts. So does that, has that given you a taste for more, Eric? It has. It has. I absolutely love acting, and I think it's given me an opportunity to sort of um, make my mom proud when I failed my first audition. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. It's come yeah. full circle. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's a different process completely from dancing. In dancing, you know, you stand there and you take instruction, and then I try and do it to the best of my abilities. The rehearsal process for this was very different. I think my first week I was 
I was struggling internally because people kept asking questions. Mm-hmm. Well, so why do I feel this way? Why do I not? Why is everyone talking about their emotions? Just tell me what to do tell and I'll do it. Do. But then you realize actually as an actor, you have an opinion and mm-hmm. you get to be involved and you mm-hmm. can shape your character. Um, so I learned a lot over those eight weeks and I'd love to carry on with that. More in film and television than theater, but I loved the process. Do you prefer that being... Um as opposed to be just being told what to do. Because that's quite black and white, isn't yes. it? You, you, you arrive, you do this, yes. done, go home. Yeah. Whereas acting, I guess, is more fluid. It is a lot more fluid. I think I really enjoyed having a voice. Mm. I, I'd never had that as an opportunity. I mean, I could express myself physically, and then someone gives you some movement, you think, okay, well, that's a skeleton of movement. How am I going to approach it? Mm. But this was different because um, being physical sometimes, you don't have to be vulnerable. You can just live within that physicality. Mm. With this, I felt stripped to the bare, and I had to actually be really vulnerable with my emotions, which was a different, a completely different experience than dancing. And that's a, a never-ending process, I guess, as an actor. Absolutely, absolutely. It was. Um, it would take a toll on you, and both in a positive and a negative way. But it's not like I would leave the theater and ah, let it go. No, no. It mm. would. It stayed in you. And so what's next, Eric, uh, in terms of your acting career? So I'm working on a television project that, unfortunately, I can't really talk much about at the moment. Strictly ballet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that one's coming in the future. (laughs) But yeah, I want to carry on doing film and television. I really enjoy it. Great. And, of course, your ballet class. Yes, and, of course, my ballet class. (laughs) Yes. Top of the list. Um, Eric, it's been a pleasure talking to you. For those of you interested in finding out more about the ballet class or indeed um, any of the other matters we've discussed today in Eric's career, please email lanzerhoff at theartsclub.co.uk. Eric, I think to sign off, we need to enroll you on our fasting therapy program, which you said off air you'd never tried before. Yes, I've never tried that. Um, But I'm not opposed to the idea. No. So uh, we'll report back. uh, (laughs) And... uh, track Eric's um, Instagram for, for more uh, yes. information on how, how he's doing. But Eric, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you and congratulations on everything you've achieved. Your own uh, self-determination and confidence uh, will, of course, serve you well in your acting career into the future as well. Thank you. Thank you. Eric, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.